We continue to study Leviticus today, one of my favorite books, perhaps one of yours as well, though I doubt it. What I'm looking at in Leviticus over these weeks is the continuity that the Old Testament and the New Testament share with each other. Last week, we talked about this this specific continuity, that it is God's idea. It's God's idea to take a people who are far from himself, a people who have almost nothing to offer but their tears, and save them. It's God's idea to take people of every nation, language, and culture, and bring them to himself. Salvation is God's idea. Therefore, you don't have to worry about whether you're working hard enough or whether your thoughts are pure enough. God is not trying to keep you out. God intends to bring you in. And so, as we looked last week, it's God's idea, and he offers to us the way to approach him. He offers to us the way to worship In the Old Testament, the worship that we're looking at in Leviticus is worship that occurred off of Mount Sinai, worship that occurred along the wilderness wanderings, worship that occurred in the temple. In the New Testament, the worship that occurs is at this meeting place, at this sacrifice, at this intersection of God and humanity, at Jesus himself. And so today we continue with Leviticus chapter 26. And I want you to note, as we continue with Leviticus chapter 26, that the blessing of God and humanity being reconciled is the blessing of the presence of God. Now, sometimes when you see the presence of someone, it can be a bit eerie if you're traveling in a foreign country and you notice a guy two or three people away from you that has on a hat And you think to yourself, interesting hat. Then five or six blocks later, you turn around and just over your shoulder is the guy with the hat again. And before long, several miles away, you're you're jostled from one side and you look and it's the guy with the hat. And you say something like, either you get away from me. Or we're going to end up on the ground right here calling attention to both of us. It can be a little eerie to see people, to have people recur in your life over and over again. Alternately, it can be a good thing. Alternately, it can be a comforting thing to see people. There was a time earlier in my ministry where there was a threat to the church that I was serving, and that threat was, was kind of general to the church and was very specific to me and to Melinda. We talked to the people that we needed to talk to about this, and one of these, one of these dear guys who was at church all the time doing whatever needs to be done, he said, Preacher, don't you worry. I have got your back. And I came to church the next Sunday morning, and I didn't worry. There was somebody sitting up in the front pew that wasn't usually sitting there. When we came into the door, there was a 
a greeter who wasn't usually there when Melinda went to practice with the music team. There was someone off to the side who wasn't usually there. When I walked down the hallway in true CIA style, there was someone reading the newspaper. I was happy that there were people everywhere because it was a comforting thing on that morning. And so I invite you, as we look here in Leviticus chapter 26, to recognize what Leviticus says about the presence of God. God has offered to us, he offered to the men and women of the Old Testament a way to encounter him, And he has offered to you and me as men and women in faith in the incarnation a way to encounter him. And in each of these, he promises that his home will be among us. Hear the word of the Lord from Leviticus. You shall make for yourselves no idols and erect no carved images or pillars You shall not place figured stones in your land to worship at them, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my statutes and keep my commandments and observe them faithfully, I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its produce the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall overtake the vintage, and the vintage shall overtake the sowing. You shall eat your bread to the fill and live securely in your land. And I will grant peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and no one shall make you afraid. I will remove dangerous animals from the land, and no sword shall go through your land. You shall give chase to your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall give chase to a hundred, and a hundred of you shall give chase to ten thousand. Your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will look with favor upon you and make you fruitful and multiply you. I will maintain my covenant with you. You shall eat old grain long stored. And you shall have to clear out the old to make way for the new. I will place my dwelling in your midst, and I shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more. I have broken the bars of your yoke. And made you walk erect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, use your servants' lips, your people's ears and hearts, that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. God is committed to reconciling himself to those who respond in faith. God is committed to reconciling himself to those who respond in faith. 
And for those who are reconciled with God, there are wonderful and amazing things that happen. For those who are reconciled with God, there are changes. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say there are changes, it it doesn't mean that everything changes. Christians get in automobile accidents at approximately the same rates as non-Christians. Christians suffer from cancer, hearing loss, arthritis, at rates that are roughly comparable to those of the surrounding populations. Understand that being a Christian does not offer us some kind of a good luck charm that keeps all harm or tragedy from visiting our lives. So on the one hand, one can say that being a Christian doesn't exempt us from life in this world. But on the other hand, being a Christian means that we may experience all that life has to offer in this world in a different way than those who have no hope. For the one who is reconciled with God, there is a difference. We do not walk alone. We are defined not by weakness, but by strength. We do not yield to hopelessness because we have this hope that the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies also. And so these close encounters that we have, God has always given men and women of faith close encounters with him. From the narrative in the garden where God walks among the trees to that odd flaming bush that Moses turned aside to see, to the three men who came and knocked on the door of Abraham's tent. There are close encounters, close encounters with God himself. And so what does Leviticus bring to us? Leviticus brings to us this idea that for the one who is reconciled with God, by God's ideas in God's ways, who have responded to God in the ways that God invites us to respond. There are things that are different. The land itself is different. Hear these words from Leviticus, and I will grant peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and no one shall make you afraid. I will remove dangerous animals from the land, and no sword shall go through your land. In the will of God, where God and humanity are walking together, there is peace. There is a lack of fear. There is an ability to sleep with the windows open and the doors unlocked. There is a reminder That just as in our fallenness we have broken creation, in our holiness we are invited to restore creation. God is concerned about the land. 
Farmers who sow and who await the harvest. The rain that comes to take those seeds and turn them into something so different from what was sown, yet that will produce more of the same. God is concerned about the land. In ancient Near Eastern times, when someone would, would come through the land and destroy it and as a sign that it should never, ever be inhabited again, the ancient Assyrians would sow salt in the fields so that never again would they produce. God invites his people to have a vision where the land yields bountifully. God invites his people to understand that God loves the land. Leviticus talks a bit about battle. Five of you shall give chase to a hundred, and a hundred of you shall give chase to ten thousand. Your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Of course, in the Old Testament, the first covenant, this was talking to a people group, Israel, as they fought actual military battles with their neighbors over borders, over trade, over many sorts of things. But to us who read this as, as spiritual readers of the new covenant, we recognize that God calls us to be prepared for battle. And being prepared for battle doesn't always mean we see ourselves as the perfect victor and our enemies as dirty, rotten scoundrels. The New Testament, the Scriptures encourage us, no, not just encourage, command us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to recognize the humanity in our neighbor, whether our neighbor is someone we would want to take on vacation with us or not. Our battles are not always battles about winning and losing. Sometimes our battles are within our own hearts. Sometimes our battles are the struggles not to yield to sin. And just as God said, I will be your strength in Leviticus. God says, I will be your strength that you may hold your head high that you may know that I am with you when you are tested and tried. I will go with you through the waters. I will go with you through the fire. We can be ready because the God of the battle prepares for you and for me to engage our world, our culture with a humble strength a humble strength to remember who we are and where we've come from. Leviticus is big on food. I'm big on food too, by the way. <laughs> I ate well this morning. I had a blueberry muffin. Blueberries are berries after all. Probably good for me. 
You shall eat old grain long stored, and you shall have to clear out the old to make way for the new. God longs for the creation that he has made to function properly so that the world will be blessed. But as we move on in this text, in verses 11 and 12, we see what Leviticus is really getting at. We see what happens when the people of God take God's idea of reconciliation and embrace it. God says, I will place my dwelling in your midst, and I shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Hear that again. I will place my dwelling in your midst. I shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. These close encounters with God on the land as we share together in meals, as we fight our battles, as we love and struggle to love, these close encounters with God change the way we live. If you remember John 14, which was read earlier, you'll find some common themes. The first is is kind of an if-then. God says, if you embrace the way that I have given you to be reconciled to me, then I will be in your midst. Once again, Jesus in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. A few verses later, we find, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And hear this. Once again, the promise. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. Listen. And we will come to them and make our home with them. God's home is with those who respond to his offer of self-disclosure. Redemption, salvation, relationship, this is God's idea. And God will make his home with those who share in this dream. God will make his home with you. And it's not just in the holy moments that God makes his home with you. It's not just while we're singing the hymns of faith God makes his home with you as you get up in the morning and make breakfast and smell the blessing of eggs and toast. God makes his home with you as you study mathematics and think about the brilliant continuity of the universe. God makes his home with you 
as you have a conversation with a friend that's not quite as deep as you wish that it was, but you know that in that moment, that friend is your neighbor, and you are the good Samaritan who has come to tend his wounds. God is with you. As you drive and sit at the stoplight, hoping it will change, praying it will change, God is with you, even there. God's with you as you serve the poor, as you hand a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, such you have done to me. God is with you as you find yourself in the hospital facing something you hoped you'd never have to face, wondering what the future holds. And God will be with us as at some unknown time in the future, we come to the point where we take our final breath and we have to take that last act of faith which is to entrust ourselves forever to the tender mercy of God. God will be with us. It's his idea to be with us. God's presence. Did you hear that? God's presence. He's with you. He is beside you. He is around you. He is before you and behind you, to your left, to your right, above, below, before, beyond. He is with you. And this gift, this gift is our joy and the sign of our reconciliation with God. Dear Christians, it's God's idea. And not only is it God's idea to save us, it's God's idea to walk with us as we have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.